Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Freeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is the UFC at the Apex. At least that's what we're probably calling it. It's UFC Woodley versus Burns, and we are going to be breaking down action from that fight card. But as you who frequent the show know, we're not going to be breaking down Woodley versus Burns or any of the other fights on the main card because this is the prelim primer where we mostly just focus on breaking down the prelim portion of the card. Now, those of you who are new to the show might be asking yourself, why just break down the prelims? Why not talk about the whole card or the most exciting fights? And we think that you've probably already got a way to go get information on the main card fights, right? Like you probably already have a place that you look for and you probably don't have a place where you go for prelim action. And we're here to specialize in just that so that you can get extra help when you're gambling or doing daily fantasy sports. And of course, before we get to the actual bulk of the show, I do have to remind you that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you train judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you should download this app as the one and only way to track your progress. You can put notes, list training sessions, competitions, weigh-ins, whatever it is you need. And while you're quarantined and you're not necessarily training as much, you can also train exercise sessions like doing yoga or going for a run. So make sure you stay on top of all of your exercise with Maroon Social. Now, once again, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. I need a savvy co-host to help me out with this show. And today I am joined by another one. Benjamin Abrigo from Fanside and MMA. Benjamin, thanks so much for joining. My pleasure. Happy to be back and happy to be talking fights. All right. So as you guys know, we start every single round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Caitlin Chokagian versus Anton, or Antonina Shevchenko. Chokagian is fresh off that title loss to her opponent's sister. Before that, she had decision victories over Jennifer Maya and Joanne Calderwood. Uh, Shevchenko recently bounced back from her loss against Roxanne Modafari with a rear naked choke over Lucy Pudalova. So uh, this one's kind of a weird stylistic matchup, right? Both are kind of distances strikers. Neither of them absorbed that much on the feet. Neither of them all that good with forward pressure. How do you see this going up down? So even though I think they both do tend to do their best work on the outside, I think Shevchenko is, has a pretty clear advantage both physically and technically in the clinch. Um, so I think for long stretches of the fight, it's going to be on the outside. I could see Chukagian having some success there. I assume she's the longer, rangier striker. Uh, but I think as soon as this gets to the clinch, Shevchenko – uh, will will bust up Chukagian in the clinch. I think this should be a close fight, but uh, I see I see Shevchenko's physical advantages being a little too much here. And, and that's really an interesting point too, right? Because you said that you know it looks like Chukagian could probably win on the outside. It looks like Antonina will probably win on the inside. It, is it pretty clear that the judges? Want, I, of course, we can never get in the judges' minds, but it, is it more likely that the judges will see that clinch fighting as more dominant too, because she has better position? I think so, especially because Chukagian isn't a particularly hard hitter, even on the, even if Chukagian is able to just light her up from the outside, she hasn't really shown to do, to be able to do a ton of damage. 
Yeah, and, and it's not easy to light Antonina up on the outside either. That's worth noting, right? Like, the only loss she's got in the UFC is to somebody who was able to grapple her up pretty good. And even that was a really close decision against the top fighter in the division. So, yeah, I see it as a really tough one for Chokagian, especially given that she's, like, at the very top of this division. She gets kind of a lower-ranked fighter who's almost like a stylistic nightmare for her. So it sounds like we're leaning a similar way here. It sounds like you got Shevchenko. How do you see her winning? Yeah, I got Shevchenko by decision, and you're right. This is kind of unfortunate matchmaking for Chukagian. Yeah, and I'm going to go with the exact same thing as you. I'm going to go with Antonina Shevchenko by decision. I I just don't see a good path to victory here for Chokagian other than, like, a narrow split decision. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Billy Quarantillo versus Spike Carlisle. Billy Quarantillo won his UFC debut by triangle choke over Jacob Kilburn. Carlisle, of course, won his UFC debut with a very exciting head kick over Alon Cruz and then gave whatever that was for a post-fight interview, uh, instantly cementing him in my mind as somebody you got to keep an eye on him. So, uh, obviously, both of them dominate in their debut, one looking good with the grappling, one with the striking. Which fighter has a better chance of replicating that success here? Uh, I think Carlisle is is the guy I favor here. But interestingly enough, I think of him, I believe he has like a judo background. Um, I think Quarantillo is definitely the more technical fighter, both on the feet and on the mat. Uh, but this just feels like the type of fight that Spike Carlisle is going to win if he can kind of out crazy and physically dominate his opponent. Um so I like I like Carlisle here doing kind of weird, wacky stuff. I'm not entirely sold on, on Quarantillo, who is super, super tough and obviously has some, some grappling skill, which we saw in his last fight. Uh, I think Spike Carlisle is a little too a little too aggressive and a little too physical for him though. Yeah, I am worried about the physicality. And actually when we broke down uh, Spike Carlisle versus Alon Cruz I was actually lower on Spike Carlisle then, too, because, you know, you mentioned that craziness. Alon Cruz is like a sniper from the outside. Here we have Billy Quarantillo, who is not that, right? Like, he is not a guy who can keep Spike Carlisle's aggression at bay. And and Alon Cruz wasn't able to do that. My, My worry just for Spike Carlisle is, like you said, he does have a judo background. But if he comes in winging those shots wildly, you know, like, I do think Quarantillo is good enough to just duck under one of those shots and hit a takedown. And Carlisle off of his back, I don't know what he's got off of his back. I don't know what he's got on his feet, to be completely honest (laughs) with you. After watching lots of film of him on the regional circuit (laughs) and lots of film, he's just so wild. So, yeah, it's a hard one to call. But, as you know, as we near the five-minute mark of the first round, i got to ask you, who are you taking and how? I'm going Carlisle by, by wacky decision that has the fight going all over the place. All right, I'm going to take Quarantillo. I actually do think he's going to wind up with enough top game time to either wear Carlisle out or to to sort of sway the judges in that way. So I'm going to take him by decision as well. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break, talk to our sponsors, and we'll be right back with round number two. All right, so I mentioned at the top of the show that you should download Maroon Social. And let me tell you something that I love about Maroon Social. I now have listed all of the competitions I've done, all in one place, all nice and neat, all of the different things I want to know about. I want to know how I did at a Naga event maybe four months ago. Cool. I pull up my app, flip through it. Look, I got two heel hooks and an omoplata. And then, you know what? I, I finished second by losing on points in the finals. It's all right there in the palm of my hand. It's absolutely 
awesome to be able to pull that kind of information up, have it in one nice, neat place, and be able to share it with your friends. So I highly suggest going and downloading Maroon Social, if only just for that. And we are back with round number two. We're going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Jamal Hill versus Clinton Abreu. Jamal Hill uh, recently beat Darko Stoizic by decision in his UFC debut. Abreu, one and two in the UFC, with the only decision victory being a lackluster one over Sam Alvey, in which neither fighter really did all that much. So... Uh, let's talk about Hill's fight with Stoizic to start, because in that fight, he looked amazing in rounds one and two, and then really tailed off in round three, kind of giving Stoizic an entry back into the fight. Looked like he was fading, looked like he was getting tired. Are you worried that that's a big problem here against Abreu, or was that more of just a big problem against a large, muscly guy who wears him out? I think more of the latter, and a little bit of, of Jamal Hill is still pretty raw. I mean, his his pro debut was in 2017, so I think that's a big part of it, that he just might not be used to being dragged to those deep waters. Um, that said, I'm not convinced that Abreu can make it a problem for him. I mean, Abreu is a guy who I think has a pretty clear path to victory with his jiu-jitsu advantage here, but like you said uh, in his fight with Sam Alvey, he didn't really do much of anything at all, so I'm not entirely sold that Abreu can kind of push the pace consistently on Jamal Hill. Yeah, and you can see that in both of his losses, too, against, uh, I'm trying to remember which one, it, who he fought. It was two Russian dudes, Anki Alev and Gazmatov, and, and, like, in both of those fights, too, you know, his jiu-jitsu is good, but not good enough to, like, completely negate the fact that he doesn't move forward, or, you know, he kind of waits for his opponent to do things, and it's not like Jamal Hill is going to take him to the ground here, right? Like, Jamal Hill, well-documented, would much rather be on the feet. So, yeah, I'm kind of leaning Jamal Hill, too, here. How, how do you see him getting it done? I think Jamal Hill, big left head kick, second round. All right, I'm going to take him knockout too. I think he probably gets it done. If he gets it done with a knockout, he's going to get it done early because, like I said, I don't really love his gas tank. So I'm going to take him by knockout in the first round. And that's going to take us to the fight I am the most excited about on this whole card, and that is Tim Elliott versus Brandon Royval. Elliott has dropped two straight to uh, the uncrowned champion in Davidson Figueredo and Askar Askarov, who is a top six uh, UFC flyweight, and then he's fighting UFC newcomer Brandon Roval, but even though he's new to the UFC, he is certainly new, not new to the flyweight scene. Uh, he most recently won the vacant flyweight belt in LFA over Nate Williams by first round armbar. It is his second straight first round armbar, and uh, you know, he's an exciting grappler, and, and I think that that's sort of the interesting question here, right? Like, Royval does a lot of good work off of his back. Both of his last wins are triangle, or, uh, you know, they were triangle two arm bars uh, off of his back. Elliot, good wrestler, right? Great scrambles. Like, I imagine this is going to wind up in, like, a scrambly kind of fight. How would you see that going here with Tim Elliott? So it's interesting because uh, I think my initial reaction is, well, you know, given his experience and, and like you said, Elliot being... Uh, having that wrestling background, instantly I thought, all right, Tim Elliott is going to win all these scrambles. But then you really, if you look at what how Brandon Royval fights, like those are the fights that he wants and the fights that he totally thrives in. That's not to say that Tim Elliott can't, uh, but I do think it's also troublesome to note that as good as Tim Elliott is at scrambling, he can get a little careless on the ground. I mean, you know, case in point, the the loss to Ben Wynn, uh, the guillotine against Figueredo, that kind of stuff, like. I think that spells trouble, even though 
you know, it's easy to look at their records and say Tim Elliott is definitely the guy that, that has all this vast experience at such a high level that he should be able to outgrapple this kid. Roy Val is just – he is the type of guy that if you're going to scramble with him, he's great with that because he's going to constantly attack submissions. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with that too, but it is also really important to mention too the level of person that Roy Vall is scrambling with versus the level of person that Tim Elliott is. Because, you know, he scrambled with Mighty Mouse fairly well, right? Like, it, it was not, he did not dominate Mighty Mouse, but like, he was able to hold his own with Mighty Mouse in the scrambles, which is, you know, damn impressive. Whereas, like, you know, Roy Vall making Nate Williams look bad off of his back is you know, a little bit less impressive. Now, here's the other thing to think about, too, is that, like, if he does threaten him enough and this winds up on the feet, I personally think Roy Vall has got a huge advantage on the feet because, while we think of him as a good defensive grappler and a guy who gets it done off his back, he prefers striking. Like, this is a guy who sees himself as a striker. If this stays on the feet, does he have a chance to finish Tim Elliott there, too? I think I would be pretty surprised, especially because I think... Elliot's going to be doing his regular Tim Elliott thing, going in and out of, of clinch and takedowns and rolls and whatnot. I would be shocked if Tim Elliott get, gets finished on the feet, but he is just, he is awfully reckless. So, you know, it's not out of the question. Yeah, and he is super awkward. So and that brings us to our prediction for this one. And this is a tough one. Like I said, it's my favorite fight on the whole card. Tim Elliott, Brendan Roval, who you got and why you got him? I'm going Roy Vall by, by close decision, a little bit of an upset. I think he just generally wins in a lot of these, these weird situations. Uh, and I'm going to go Roy Vall by submission. I, I think he catches him. I, I'm really high on him as a prospect. I'm super pumped that he finally got signed. Um, and I think this is an awesome chance for him to like sort of catapult him up himself up as a big name in the UFC. And that's, of course, going to do it with the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break, talk to our sponsors, and we'll be right back with the last two fights. All right, guys, I'm going to tell you one more thing I really love about Maroon Social, and that's the notes feature. Every single time I train, I log my training session on Maroon Social, and I pop in a couple of notes about things that I really want to remember. I used to be one of those guys who had like a jujitsu journal, a little notebook that I put down a little note on, and it'd get sweaty, right? It's at the gym, or I'd leave it at the gym, or forget it, it'd be in the lost and found. No more, because even if I lost my phone, it's saved in the app. So I could get a new phone, boom, still have all that kind of information that I need to go look back to to make sure my triangle choke's super tight or to make sure that that omoplata is working perfectly. So make sure that you download the Maroon Social app because it is going to help change the way that you train. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Casey Kenny versus Lewis Smolka. So Casey Kenny most recently lost his two-fight win streak with a decision loss to Marab Davashvili. He had wins before that over Ray Borg and Manny Bermudez. Smolka is 2-1 in the UFC in his most recent three bouts, most recently defeating Ryan McDonald. So Kenny's kryptonite last time out seemed to be somebody who could out-wrestle him. Smolka, he's good in scrambles, but does he have enough offense to be able to stifle what Casey Kenny wants to do? Man, I I do not think so. And that's a shame. I mean, when Smolka came to the UFC, I was sold on him. I thought he was going to be a future champion. But we've seen Casey Kenny uh, survive and even get the better of like guys like Ray Borg and Manny Bermudez on the mat. Uh, I know Smolka is, is, can be really awkward, and, and I feel like a big part of Smolka's grappling game is like giving up near submissions just so he can reverse position. I don't see that working out well here against Casey Kenny. Um, 
I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if Smolka has puts together some some combinations on the feet, but I think Kenny will be able to take him down um, and stay safe. Yeah, and I, I think you're a hundred percent right on that. Like I, I think Smolka might try to grapple with him early, and then realize like, oh shit, this is not where I want to be, right? And then like then maybe yeah, maybe he goes to the the striking. But one of the things I've always liked about Smolka is some of his kicks look really good. You know, like he, he's worked the body in the past with some kicks. You don't want to do that against a guy who's going to repeatedly try to take you down, right? So I like Casey Kenny anyway to like take him down, even if he wasn't giving up, you know, like really obvious entries to take down. So yeah, I think this one's pretty obvious. Uh, I'm going with Casey Kenny. How do you see him getting it done? I got Kenny by by decision. I think Smolka is is still a pretty good guy, a uh, pretty good fighter, but I like Kenny here just stylistically. Yeah, and I think you're right, too. He, he is super durable, too. So I, I think it would be probably pretty hard to see Casey Kenny get him out. And I don't think Casey Kenny's gotten anybody out of there in a while anyway. So, um, yeah, I'll go with him by decision as well. And that takes us to our very last fight, which is an exciting one. It's Chris Gutierrez versus Vince Morales. So Gutierrez lost his UFC debut to uh, Rowney Barcelos. He now is on a two-fight win streak, though, with wins over Ryan McDonald and Geraldo de Freitas. And now Vince Morales is 1-2 and two in his last three. Most recently, he lost to Benito Lopez. But that fight was by decision and, and kind of an exciting fight. So uh, this fight is going to kick off the night. I think it's a fun little stand-up war. What do you see happening on the feet, and how do you see it happening? Um, so right before we started recording, I saw that the they're using the small octagon for this event. And I actually think that's going to be pretty relevant in this fight. Uh, I think Morales... Well, first of all, neither one of these guys really have skill sets that jump off the page. But generally speaking, I think this is a fight where Morales is pressing forward, trying to put together his punches. Gutierrez will will kind of skirt the edges of the cage and put together long-range weapons. Um, I'm going to go with, with Morales here, especially because it's a small cage. I think he'll be able to kind of corner uh, Gutierrez, make it even smaller, cut off the cage, uh, put together his punches well. Uh, and I would imagine Morales is a slight underdog, so... Oh, it's basically a pick 'em. Uh but yeah, generally I think I think Morales will be able to find find a home for his punches, assuming he can cut off the cage here. And, and that's a really interesting point too. I, I did not know that until you just broke it off. So this is breaking news to me. And if we go back to some of those other fights too, uh, just to, to quickly touch base on them while we still got time, Antonita Shevchenko, that that is great for her as well. But I think it's great for her in sort of the same way it's great for Vince Morales here, right? Like both of them would rather not strike at distance with their opponents. Both of them would rather cut off the cage, get in a little bit closer. Both of them don't mind being in the clinch. And they probably have an advantage over their opponent in that way. And yeah, you're right. The small cage definitely does that. So um, I'm assuming you're thinking decision here because this is razor close. And, you know, to my knowledge, Vince Morales, not a huge finisher. Uh, how do you see him getting it done? Yeah, I got, I got Morales by decision. But you're absolutely right. This should be a fun fight. Yeah and, way. yeah, and I'm going to go with Morales by decision, too. It's a razor-close fight. I'm super excited for it. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm going with Morales as well. And that's going to do it for all three of our rounds. You've got six fights in the book on the prelims. We've, of course, got five fights on the main card that you guys can check out and listen to on somebody else's podcast, but certainly not this one. We hope you enjoyed the breakdown. And, Ben, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you.